Romans chapter 1 and verse 3. Romans chapter 1 and the third verse, which sets forth the content of the gospel of God. God's gospel has a very specific content, and we dare not alter it. And it is concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. There was no Son, there was no Jesus, there was no Christ, and there was no Lord in this sense until Mary had a baby of flesh that God the Word joined to be Jesus Christ, our Lord and God's Son. This is what we believe about Jesus of Nazareth. And let us look at a few more verses to establish ourselves in it from this text. We do not want to be deceived in any direction to compromise the identity of Jesus Christ. And we are not playing with words, nor are we nitpicking when we stay on this verse as long as we have. This church has been attacked in the past for this doctrine. This church is considered heretical by many for this doctrine. I have been attacked for this doctrine. The men who ordained me were attacked for this doctrine. Many of our Baptist forefathers were attacked for this doctrine. The strict Baptists of England around 1850 in the middle of the 19th century were split right down the middle into two segments called the Gospel Standard Baptists and the Strict Baptists on this point of doctrine. We reject Rome. We reject the Protestant churches. We reject the Council of Nicaea. We reject all the church confessions that come from them that say that the second person in the Trinity was generated in eternity past by some mysterious process of eternal generation. We do not believe that. We believe the second person in the Trinity is the Word of God, and we believe what John 1 tells us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what we believe. Then we believe what it says in the 14th verse, and the Word was made flesh. The same word we have here in verse 3. And until the Word was manifest in flesh, there was not an only begotten Son of God. Because if you make there to be an only begotten Son of God before Mary had a baby, then I want to know who is its mother. If the second person in the Trinity is the Son of God in eternity past, who is its mother? By what process did did He become a son? When did He become a son? Because to be begotten requires an action in time. They're mutually exclusive terms when they say, we believe in the eternal generation of the Son. You cannot be eternally begotten. Begotten is a function of time. Eternity says there is no time. It's before all time. Let's try to explain a few of those things more, but let's just look at this verse. Look at the words. The Gospel of God which is mentioned in the last four words of verse 1, is defined in verse 3, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we have that Son of God described, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Because Jesus Christ our Lord has a flesh part 
in Him, all the fullness of the Godhead would dwell bodily. Colossians 2.9 And He has a spiritual part that is the divine nature of God in the Word of God. So we have the Word of God Himself and we have Jesus of Nazareth, the human nature, begotten in the womb of Mary. The two of them come together. And when they come together, we call that the incarnation. Right. I, the, that word isn't in the Bible, and you don't need to memorize it. But if you ever hear it, what it means is when the Word of God joined human flesh, then God had a son. Right. Let's look at some verses that teach us that. Look at Luke chapter 1. One of the first places we go when Mary asks, how is she, a virgin, going to have a son? And the angel Gabriel explains to her how she would have that son and also tells her what that son would be called because of the way she had him. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, let's start at 31. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb... And bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. We've had four terms in Romans 1-3. Jesus, Christ, Lord, and God's Son. Mary, you're going to conceive a male child. You're going to have a son. Call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he shall be great. What does shall, what tense of a verb is that? This is so simple. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Oh, that's good. That helps us tie into Romans 1.3. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. All future tense works that God was going to do through Jesus Christ. Verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I've never had intercourse. How am I going to conceive a child? I'm a virgin. Verse 35, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. If you want a name for the other person in the Godhead before he became a father, what's he called here? The highest. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Therefore also. The the reason the word also is there, there's two things that result from God the Holy Spirit and the highest coming upon Mary and bringing about her conception. It's how a virgin would conceive and have a son. And two, what the name of that son will be and what he'd be called. He shall be called the Son of God. It's Mary's baby that is the Son of God. And prior to his incarnation, as our mediator, God did not have a son except Adam. The Bible says Adam was God's son in a different sense of the word, except the angels. The Bible called the angels the sons of God, but that's in a different sense of the word. And we're called the sons of God, but that's being a son of God in a different sense of the word. Adam was the only one created directly by God. The angels were the only ones created directly by God. And we're made the sons of God by regeneration. Jesus didn't need to be regenerated like that because he didn't have a sin nature. But he was the only one begotten in the womb of a virgin. The only begotten son of God. Simple enough to hear and to believe. 
some of the verses that we looked at before, like Daniel chapter 9, told us that there were 70 weeks to Messiah. Messiah did not exist then. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and it is a good cross-reference for Romans chapter 1. Hebrews, Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 are good explanations that fill in material for the first couple of verses of Romans 1, especially verses 3 and 4. I want to read to you down through verse 8 of this first chapter. I hope that some of you have already read it this weekend. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. This is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ, humiliated, made lower than the angels, exalted, made higher than the angels, and receiving an inheritance of all things in heaven and earth that he would rule over. He didn't have that inheritance until he went to heaven and ascended from this earth. And he didn't exist. Watch. There's so much here, and we just are going to race through it. Verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. There are so many that say Jesus was preaching to the Old Testament saints. Oh no. Verse 1 says God spoke to the Old Testament saints by the prophets. But he he spoke to the New Testament saints by his Son. Verse 2 tells us the Son wasn't back in the Old Testament. The Son is a New Testament. I'm not talking about the Word of God. If anybody thinks that I am denying the eternality of the Word of God, you're not listening. You're the one that denies the eternality of the Word of God because you declare He's a begotten God. My God is unbegotten, including the Word of God is unbegotten, which is the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes Jesus unbegotten God. That's why verse 8 says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God. And he's called the Son here because he was made flesh, as we're reading in Romans 1.3. You come down through these words in, in verses 2 through 7. I mean, they're just wonderful. Jesus is appointed heir of all things. Well, I thought God already owned all things. What? Hello? Hello? I thought God already had all things. 
So how do we appoint all things to Jesus? It must be he didn't own them before. And that is correct. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, was exalted to the right hand of God and given everything and all those things were put under his feet. And that happened after his resurrection and after his ascension. That's when he was made so much better than the angels. Verse 4. It describes the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3 as the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You're never going to see God. None of us are ever going to see God. God is an invisible spirit. But we will see the Lord Jesus Christ like men on earth saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was full of glory on earth. And that glory were the wonderful character traits and attributes of God represented in a human man. Perfect graciousness. Perfect righteousness. Perfect compassion. Perfect justice. A lover of mercy and truth. The scepter of righteousness was in his hand. The Lord Jesus showed forth the glory of the Father on earth by his incarnation because through the Lord Jesus Christ was the splendid display of the perfections of God in a way visible for our eyes. So much more could be said from these words right here. He's made so much better than the angels in verse 4 because that's when he was taken out of this earth and put on the throne of God and given everything. God has placed a man at the pinnacle, the apex of the universe. You know I I love this point because the devil hates this point. He got our first father. He got the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. But we have another Adam, don't we? We have the second Adam. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has destroyed the works of the devil. And he is over the devil. All angels. All principalities. Guess who that's talking about when we say those words? All principalities. All powers. All thrones. Might and dominion. And every name that is named is under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is a man. He is Mary's son. He is David's son. He is God's son. He is fully God. He is fully Jehovah, unbegotten in any sense in his divinity. And he's human, nature complete, yet without sin in his body and human nature. I wish I could make it plainer. Let's keep trying a few more different ways. And see if we can figure, if we can see it clearly. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. More could be said about Hebrews. God hadn't spoken to Israel by the Son. He spoke to them by the prophets. Can you read? And I'm speaking to others, I hope. I hope there's no one here confused. Yet, while I could race over these verses... And and for most of you, it could be handled in less than five minutes. But for some of you who love the truth and who want to be defenders of it, and for some of you young men, I want to jam-pack your minds full of it. And I want to repeat myself, and I want to make it so plain and so powerful that you will never forget it as long as you live, and that you will never let any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain deceit, or through the traditions of men uh, that Colossians 2.8 warned us about, but that you will always remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead in a human body with a human nature. And we will not dilute either of those. We do not make his divine nature to be begotten. We make the combined God-man to have been begotten. 
we make the human nature of Jesus Christ to have been begotten. Because we have a mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Does the Bible say that? Amen. Am I calling Jesus a man? <laughs> of course I am. Think about the... Is Jesus a man? Of course he is. Is he also God? Amen. Of course he is. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Don't look in the New World Translation that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Because the Word wasn't a God. The Word wasn't a begotten God. The Word wasn't an eternally generated God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So we've got God with God, and we only believe in one God. We have a trinity in the Godhead. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Didn't Hebrews chapter 1 say that He made the worlds by the Son of God? Yes, He did, because the Son of God is the Word of God and a human nature brought together. And so we can say things of the combined person, some of which are human and some of which are divine. The combined person, did He create the worlds? Yes, Because the Word of God created the worlds. Did He grow in wisdom and stature? Yes. Because the human nature of Jesus Christ of Nazareth had to grow in wisdom and stature. I I smile because it's actually so simple if we'll just believe the Word of God. You say, but it sounds like you're talking on both sides of your mouth about... We are. We are. His divine nature and His human nature. Thank you very much for noticing that we're trying to rightly divide the word of truth. Thank you. You bet we rightly divide, we divide him into his two natures. Because I'll tell you something, the word of God never grew in wisdom or in stature. That's right. The word of God had perfect wisdom from the beginning. Amen. From eternity. And I'll tell you that the Lord Jesus of Nazareth did not create the worlds because he himself had to grow up from a nursing baby to become a 12-year-old boy that could handle the scribes in the temple at Jerusalem and then take up his ministry at the age of 30. That Listen, if you don't think I'm covering it thoroughly enough for you, it's called The Sonship of Jesus Christ on our website, and it, it proves it in many pages and shows all those ancestors of ours that believe the very same thing. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That should be simple enough. The Word was not the Son. The Word was not the Son. The Word was God. Word does not equal Son. You say, well, then where did the Son come from? Verse 14, look at it. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Did we read about glory in Hebrews chapter 1? We beheld His glory. You'll never see God. But we beheld the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. It's so simple. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among us. He walked among us. He ate. He had to go to sleep at night because he got tired. He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. The only begotten Son of God 
is Jesus of Nazareth with a flesh body and a human nature in conjunction with the Word of God. And until those two came together in Mary's womb, there was no Son of God. God did not have an only begotten Son. There was God. If you go back before Mary and say there was a Son of God, would you tell me how God begat His Son? And if God begat His Son, at what time did He do that? And before God begat this Son you're telling me about, where was the Son? You say, well, He was eternally begotten. You explain to me how you eternally beget any Son. Begetting a Son is an act of time. Where did all this confusion come from? It came from the devil that wants to dilute the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as soon as you say that he was a son in eternity, then his Godhead is diluted because his Godhead was begotten in some way. So that then you have verse 18. I'm going to read it in our Bible. Then I'm going to read it in their Bible. John 1.18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that, it, that revealed the glory of God to men. The only begotten Son. When did He become the only begotten Son? Verse 14, when the Word of God was made flesh. Here's their version of 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten God, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. That's the Bible that Bob Jones University has recommended until the last few years. That's the New American Standard Version. Now they recommend the English Standard Version. But the New American Standard Version follows the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses and says in John 1.18, the only begotten God. We do not believe in a begotten God. We believe in a begotten Son. And when we say begotten Son, we go back up to verse 14 and find out what's included. The Word and flesh. I know some of you already know this. But I want everyone in here to know it. I, I, I want charity to know it. And I'm trying so hard, charity. God the Word was not a Son. God the Word was God. God the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He walked, he lived, he ate, we touched, we saw, he grew. Wisdom and stature. And we watched him when he spoke. What did his enemies say? No man spake like this man. Why? He was the Son of God. He was a human nature in tight communion, connection, an inexplicable union that we cannot plumb the depths of with the Word of God. And God's character traits came flowing through the Lord Jesus Christ so that when He spoke, when He acted, it was the express image of God as much as we'll ever be able to see. Because notice what it says in verse 14, We beheld His glory. What glory was it? It was the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, He was full of grace and truth. If you were to see God, you know, everybody wants to think, well, He'd be big. Everybody wants to think He'd be bright. But the things, when you see God, according to Exodus chapter 33, when you see God, it's character traits that come out. 
When Moses saw God, God pronounced things about himself to Moses. He said, Moses, okay, it's so important for you to see my glory. I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you my backsides. I'll, I'll just show you a little bit. But what he saw was something he heard. And it was a proclamation of the character traits of God. It's not a fire. It's not a ghost. It's not a puff of smoke. It's not a cloud. And it certainly isn't Michelangelo's hallucination on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It is a list of character traits that are God's character traits. And that separate Him from us. He is holy. We are unholy. He is just. We are not just. He is righteous. He is forgiving. He is merciful. He's a God of truth. We're deceitful above all things. Thank you, Lord. I love your word. Come to Hebrews. Come back to Hebrews chapter 2. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Forgive me my confusion. It's just editing. And taking a tithe of where we should be going or could be going. But it'll be enough. Galatians chapter 4, what exactly does Romans 1, 3 say to us? That the gospel of God concerns Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is God's Son. Four things. And then it defines that Son, which was made, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Because God didn't have a Son Until the Word was made flesh. We just read that in Luke 1. That holy thing which shall be born of thee. And what did Mary give birth to? A little baby boy. That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What did John 1 say? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the only begotten Son of God. Let's read some more verses that use the similar or same language for us to get it packed into our minds Who Jesus of Nazareth is. He's a man in close fellowship and union with the Word of God that sits at God's right hand in heaven. And he is both God and man. And his deity. When I say the word deity, we mean his God part. When I say his divinity, I mean his God part. That is unbegotten. That is undivided. It is not diluted. It is in union with a human nature, and that is the Son of God. Look at Galatians 4. Verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Just very quickly, somebody will say, see, God sent forth his son before he was made of a woman because he had to have been his son for God to send him forth. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Sounds good. Is that why it says in John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John? Do you want to tell me about John the Baptist in the Old Testament? I'm waiting to hear all about it. I really would like to know about it. Did John the Baptist exist in the Old Testament and so God sent him forth as John the Baptist? Then he was born of Elizabeth? Hello? How did God send forth His Son? What is the Son? God caused Him to be born of the Virgin Mary and sent Him forth in His ministry 30 years later and then put Him on His throne in heaven three and a half years after that. But notice this. What it says 
in verse 4 of Galatians 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. His Son had to be made of a woman to be His Son. His Son was made under the law, just like Romans 1-3 told us, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Well, what about according to the Spirit? Well, according to the Spirit, it was God the Word. Look at Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. Look at Hebrews 2, 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Is that God the Word? Or is that Jesus of Nazareth? Lower. You want to tell, explain to me that God the Word is lower than the angels? No. The human nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes it's speaking about that human nature in union with God the Word made a little lower than the angels. That's for his humiliation when he came into this world. He was lower than the angels. Look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, again, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory and honor in heaven. But the verses I want here in Hebrews 2, just want to show you those made verses. I want to come to verse 14 and get another one. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, you happen to have a flesh and blood body. That is your flesh. That is your body. That is the corporal part of your nature. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, you and me, the children of God, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, flesh and blood, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus is a perfect high priest because he took on flesh and blood and had a human nature like us and according to chapter 4 was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. I quoted this in the first assembly. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew one twenty three, the angel explains to Joseph, your son that I want you to name Jesus will be Emmanuel which by interpretation and explanation is God with us. How did God, how is God with us? God has always been everywhere according to the Bible. He fills heaven and earth according to the Bible. He is omnipresent according to our doctrine. How would God be with us in a way that he hadn't been before? John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. We had him right there. We could touch. We could handle him. Do you know what it says that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1? Amen. You want to hear those words so that you know that I'm speaking the truth and I'm not getting a little sacrilegious about the word of God? That which was from the beginning, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning. What was from the beginning? The word. Amen. Not the son, the word. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. 
That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And God has made Jesus Christ to have all the preeminence over all things, because He is the Son of God, yet He is a man. What divine wisdom to come up with something so glorious as the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God, Jesus our Lord, had a flesh component to His being. To deny this, or to confuse it, is to blaspheme God by degrading the divine nature of Jesus Christ. If you do not look to the incarnation of Mary as the source of Him being the Son of God, and the reason for Him being called the Son of God, and the origin of Him being the Son of God, if you don't do that, then you've got His divine nature being the Son back in eternity. And then I ask you, what kind of a begetting was it? What kind of a father is he? When did he become a son? And how did he become a son? Everything falls apart unless we just follow Scripture. And don't get all mixed up in origins, confused language of trying to adapt Christianity to Greek philosophy. And if you don't, just, just punch, just go online and punch in origin to a Google search box, an eternal generation. Three words, and you'll have plenty to read about as to where it came from. It's the confused Bible expositor who took Matthew 19 literally and cut off his family jewels because it said, many have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now that's a man who has poor understanding of Scripture. Origin practiced metaphorical allegorical interpretation of the Bible above all others. What I mean by that is he would take passages of Scripture that you would look at as being very plain and literal, and he would allegorize them away into stories, even if they, per- even if they pertained or sounded Christ-like or Christian-like, that didn't have anything to do with the context. That's what he's known for. But I think it's pretty neat that in Matthew 19 he was a literalist. <laughs> I think it's pretty neat. Origin, come on. The church fathers. He, he invented this language about an eternal generation. And the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches that came out of the Catholic Church have followed it ever since. And there are a bunch of Baptist confessions of faith that have the same polluted language. And that's why last Sunday I wanted to tell you about the first London confession of faith in 1644 by the Baptists that was revised in 1646 to be called the second edition of the first London Baptist confession of faith that revised its language about Jesus Christ so that no one would be confused because they rejected eternal sonship. Thank you, Lord. I just told you about all the Baptists in England being split into, at least the, the Baptists that believe the Bible in England, in 1850 being split in two over this point of doctrine. Lord, we want to stand where you have the truth. Show us. And if there's a better way of explaining it, show that to us. We want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and identify Him and know Him as the Bible declares Him to be. Amen. If we make the Son something before Mary's baby named Jesus then we have a begotten God because all you're dealing with back then is the divine nature of God. And if He's begotten as a son, then what kind of a God is He? He's a God like the Jehovah's Witnesses say. And I want to give the Jehovah's Witnesses credit right now and I want to give the Arians credit right now. They are consistent with Origen's language. But if you have a begotten God, then He is a God. He is not the God. 
And the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Arians have always known that Origen's language gave them a foothold into orthodoxy, as the world describes it. But we don't give them that foothold because our Lord Jesus Christ is unbegotten God. He is Jehovah. Period. He's not a God. He is the mighty God. He's not a mighty God. He is the mighty God. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's our Savior. That man, Christ Jesus, is God's Son. That man, Christ Jesus, saved us from our sins. That man, Christ Jesus, is the high priest at God's right hand that is going to intercede for us. That man, Christ Jesus, created the worlds. Amen. Wow! Lord, Jesus Christ is glorious. He is great. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Everlasting Father. He is everything. He has the preeminence. But he still has that human nature. And that's why when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 28, it says the Lord Jesus Christ will be subject to God through eternity. It says all things are put under his feet, but he is accepted, which did put all things under his feet. I'm not turning you there. I'm hoping that you're following my words. God put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ, but obviously he is accepted He is E-X-C-E-P-T-E-D. He is accepted from being under the feet of Jesus Christ, who put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ, meaning God is not under the feet of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is subordinate to God through eternity. Why? How can God be subject to God? No. How can the Son be subject to God? And then it's easily understood because we're dealing with Jesus of Nazareth. But other than God, everything is under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to be at those ankles. I want to be at those ankles and worship the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the Son of God. And the Gospel we preach had better keep Him preeminent. And the Gospel you believe had better keep Him preeminent. And we better speak of Him and sing of Him. And we better love Him and serve Him. And we better obey Him. That's why the Bible says, Kiss the Son. Did men have a chance to kiss the Son while He was on earth? Yes, they did. Can you kiss the Word of God? Can you kiss the Son? Could you kiss the Son? How do we kiss the Son? We fall at His feet and proclaim Him Lord and do what He commands us to do. Lest ye perish from the way when His anger is kindled but a little. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again. The Bible says He's coming again and He's going to show who is that blessed and only potentate. King of kings and Lord of lords. God's always been King of kings and Lord of lords. But now there's a man that is King of kings and Lord of lords. His Godhead was not begotten. He was the Word of God from eternity. God. Then He became manifest in flesh. And when the two came together, we had a new being in the universe. The Word had always been there. But now, human flesh was united with the Word to give us Jesus of Nazareth, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger that was the Son of God. And he grew. And he was tired. 
and he ate. And he was thirsty on the cross, and they pierced his body enough times that his blood ran out so that he died. But I am alive forevermore. Amen. Revelation 118. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Who had the keys of hell and of death before that? God did. And do you know how many were going to escape hell and death? Zero. Do you know who has them now? Our mediator. If you were to read systematic theologies and they didn't say incarnational sonship, the term you want to look for is mediatorial sonship. We believe that the sonship of Jesus Christ is based on his role as our mediator, and there was no mediator until Jesus was born of Mary. The scriptures are full of prophecies of, about Jesus coming from David's lineage, so many of them that the Bible actually just, just saves words and calls him David. You can go to Hosea 3, 5 and places in Jeremiah and Isaiah where he's just flat out called David because he is so much the son of David. Listen, brethren, he's the son of David through Joseph and he's the son of David through Mary. He's legally the son of David through Joseph. He's biologically the son of David through Mary. And the two of them came through different sons of David. Both genealogies are given to us in Scripture. He is the son of David, and he is rebuilding the tabernacle of David, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament, and making it up of Gentiles, as Acts 15 carefully explains and gives us a wonderful prophecy. Our opponents accuse us of degrading Christ's deity, but our son is the unbegotten God. Our opponents accuse us of confusing the Trinity, but we're the only ones that have an equal three in one. And if you want to know more, there is more material available. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Ah, meaningful words. Called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The God-man Christ Jesus our Savior, where he's coming for us soon, your eyes will behold him because he has a physical body glorified, and we're going to follow and have glorified bodies with him for eternity. And we will see the perfections of God through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Kiss Him today. Believe on Him now. Speak of Him when we conclude. Live for Him for the rest of this day. Have mercy upon us, blessed God, through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Amen.